We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's going on, sports card grinders? Dean here with you once again. We're going to be talking some... You guessed it. Sports cards uh, in this show. We're going to be talking about the Bowman 2020 season from a baseball perspective there. Uh, going to be digging into that. We talked about it last week, some baseball cards, and just doing a little bit of a screen share uh, and putting it under a microscope as far as what those cards are doing. Uh, present tense as we're recording this show. Uh, the NBA season allegedly is coming back. Uh, details are still sort of sprinkling in as we are recording. We're going to talk about how that will affect cards as well. Uh, also going di- to dig in later on the show and talk about the PCA- PSA gradings, PSA versus the BGS, and uh, you know the best way to go about getting your cards graded. That said, we're going to bring in batting first, leading off from uh, sportscardinvestor.com. It's Jeff Wilson. What's going on, Jeff? Hey, Dean. How you doing, man? Glad to be here. Likewise. Uh, going to be talking about uh, – well, you're going to have some fun with Bowman 2020, the baseball cards. So we'll, we'll bring you back in just a second. I do want to introduce – uh, the rest of our, uh, our dais here, Josh Wasaki, you're back. You, you took a week off. Now you're back. Yeah. Of course, another RG contributor here. Uh, well, what do you have out there? I, I was checking actually on Roto Grinders, and there is what was your most recent article? I, I was looking at it before the show. Yeah. Tell the people what to check out. Yeah, I'm I'm analyzing uh, the 2018 draft class. It's a really deep class, and there there could be a lot of potential all stars in that class. So I'm kind of doing a two or three part series on that. I think part two was just released. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So, all right. So we'll stay tuned for part three. Yeah. You're going to be doing part three. So. Uh, Simon, I, I kind of hinted at it. And later on the show, we'll be talking about some PSA grading. You have an article uh, out there as well. This is Simon Edwards, one of the producers here at Rotor Grinders. And now he's in front of the camera. What's going on, Simon? Not too much, Dean. Happy to be here. Happy to have uh, Jeff and Josh back on the show this week. And uh, yeah, I did an article this week on, uh, grading discrepancies between BGS and uh, PSA 10 and the value that you might be able to find 
depending if you can find a BGS 9.5 with enough high subgrades that might uh, be able to resubmit and get a PSA 10 with. Let's lastly bring in Brennan Ruby, Batten Cleanup. What's going on, Brennan? Uh, of course, another RG contributor. And tell the people about your most recent article that's available on rotogrinders.com. Sure. Yep. Doing well. Uh, so the most recent article I did was a, uh, a market cap analysis of both LeBron James rookie season, as well as a comparison of Deshaun Watson and Dak Prescott. Um, I'm going to take that step, you know, one step further on the next article, uh, release date to be determined. And we're going to compare Luka Doncic market cap to LeBron James. Now it's going to be more difficult with the newer players, but uh, I think it'll be a pretty interesting read once we're uh, ready for it. All right, let's jump back to Jeff. Of course, uh, Jeff, we have a partnership with you. 20% off first payment of any subscription at uh, sportscardinvestor.com. Use the promo code grinders. Tell the people why should they, why should they invest in this? Sure. Well, you know, you can you can truly make money with sports cards and a lot of people have been doing it this year. The sports card hobby has been hot and a lot of cards are going up in value. But in order to be an effective sports card investor, you have to have the education and you also have to have the tools to understand the market and how the market is moving. So uh, I have a lot of free advice on sportscardinvestor.com, but I also have my membership program where I give members access to premium content and I also give members access to tools that such as my market movers tool, which we'll see, which helps everyone better understand the market and price movements that are occurring and where there might be opportunities to get in and buy. Yeah, we're gonna show off that market mover tool in just a second, Jeff. I'm gonna stick with you. Uh, talking about, we, we touched on it last week as far as the Bowman 2020 set. Uh, your general thought as far as this set, are you excited about it? Are you a fan of it? And you know, we have another week of data as far as following what the prices are doing out there. Uh, you know, of course, well, and I also wanted to ask you about, we kind of talked about this pre-show, as far as the terminology and the explanation, uh, the difference between a first prospect card, a true rookie card, what the card, what cards do we actually want? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you're collecting or investing in baseball cards, you know, you're looking at, there. What to boil it down to very simple terms, if you're going to go after a prospect, so somebody who's in the minors, who has not, let, not yet come up to the majors, you want to go after their Bowman first prospect card. Bowman, uh, the, the Bowman sets specialize in prospects from the minor leagues. Um, so for an example, this is uh, one I pulled yesterday um, in my member break. This is a Bowman first prospect card of uh, a player for the Padres. This was, um, who is this? Uh, Xavier Edwards of the Padres. And this is actually a Bowman first prospect card with an on-card auto. So, you know, a very nice card. And as you can see, it says right up in the corner, and this is the important thing, it says right up in the corner, first Bowman. Um, and that indicates to you that this is his first base, really his first baseball card ever. It is his first Bowman prospect card. Now, when he makes it into the major leagues, a couple of seasons from now, then he will also have a rookie card. Now, the rookie cards people like to go after are in tops. So basically, Bowman is where you're going for your first prospects. Tops is where you're going for your rookie cards when they've actually made it to the major leagues. Um, in terms of this Bowman set, it's a, it's a nicely designed set. You can see from that card that I just held up that it's the cards look really nice. They're really crisp. They're well printed this year. Um, the, all elements of the set are really great this year, so I'm pretty excited about that. But ultimately, how a set does is determined by how good the prospect class is. And one of the things when you're, when you're going after Bowman and you're going after prospects, you're really going after players that are, you know, 16 years old, 17 years old, have never even gotten close to the majors yet, but have 
you know, are very, very high uh, on the list of the, you know, scouts top 100 list and that type of thing um, in terms of their potential. So it's really a hit and miss type game. But if you pick a little known prospect and get a bunch of their first Bowmans for, for very little money, and that prospect actually materializes and makes it into the majors and turns into the next Ronald Acuna or Juan Soto, you will have really, really done well. And so that's why there's certain types of collectors, investors who love going after Bowman because they love to get those first prospect cards, especially the guys who maybe aren't as well known. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the long-term investability of the set, but I guess it's probably hard to say when a bunch of these dudes are like 16, 17 years old and you know, you won't know until three or four years or five years down the road. Is that sort of the, uh, the situation and it's a risk versus reward? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. You have a lot better idea when you're, if you're buying basketball cards, uh, you're getting to rookie cards. You have a lot better idea of the quality of that year's draft class and how these guys' careers might pan out. Likewise, if you're buying football cards, you're buying the guys who are just drafted. You can likely project, you know, we don't know for sure how Joe Burrow is going to turn out, but we know he has all the talent and experience to potentially have a really great NFL career. So you can at least feel better about an investment into somebody like a Joe Burrow. But when you're buying your way into Bowman, you really are buying guys who are a long way away from actually making an impact in the majors. So it's definitely more of a high risk, high reward type of investing. Um, if you pick the right prospect, you can do awesome with it. Uh, but if you, uh, you can also easily strike out. Yeah, you mentioning that, and like that's that sort of the, uh, leads us to our next thing. We're gonna do a screen share. I guess you want to pull up uh, Jason Dominguez as far as what his cards are doing on the Market Mover tool, and uh, he's just turned 17 years old. I understand he's a Yankee prospect, and he's supposed to be great and all that. But uh, some of his cards out there, and I, I assume the Market Mover is going to confirm this, are going for thousands and thousands of dollars. Is that correct? That is, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. He is by far the hottest uh, player in Bowman 2020 right now. What's interesting about him is he's never even taken an at-bat in the United States, never played minor league baseball yet. You know, the Yankees picked him up, I, I think, out of the Dominican Republic. Um, I, someone double-check me on that, but I think he came out of the Dominican. Um, and, you know, now with minor league baseball quite possibly being canceled this year, we may not even see him even play a minor league game until next year. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that people are chasing his cards as much as they are, but people think this guy's got all the talent in the world. Um, and you can see this. So I just brought up on the screen here within Market Movers, I brought up the prices of some of the most sought after players in Bowman 2020. And the top line, this top pink lineup here is Jason Dominguez. Uh, and you can see that's a that's like a major, major line far above everybody else. The second person, the purple line uh, is Bobby Witt Jr. So this is Jason Dominguez's. This is now this is just simply his base first prospect card. So this is not the auto this is not a refractor this is not a serial numbered card this is just his everyday base card and so this one right now is going for about 22 dollars on the market um you know whereas the next guy which is bobby witt jr uh his base prospect card right now is going for about five bucks so you can see how far ahead of the pack jason dominguez is from every from everyone else but what you're talking about in terms of his cards going for the thousands yes if you can if you're getting one of his first auto cards where he's autographed it especially if it's a refractor especially you know the refractor cards are numbered uh especially if it's a um maybe a less common refractor as well 
uh, those cards are going to get on up there easily. Um, and uh, there's certainly certainly a lot of people are taking a big chance because we don't know. But at the same time, if you read the literature on Jason Dominguez, there's a lot of baseball writers who know what they're talking about that say he is one of the very best baseball prospects to have emerged in the last 10 or 20 years. Born February, you want to feel old? Born February 7th, 2003. Wow. <laughs> that that is pretty that is pretty wild for sure. Dominican, uh, D- D- Dominican, you're you're correct. He's from the DR, so uh, that that was a uh, yeah, which produces tons of great ball players. Obviously, I guess my question on that would be, well, the ones that are thousands of thousands of dollars, uh, let's say he becomes the level of an Altuve or an Acuna or a Trout or somewhere in that ballpark, he becomes a top fifteen player in all of baseball. Uh, how much of that you know potential is baked into the price already? Like how much more can that card be, if that question well, makes sense? Well, it can certainly be more because if you consider that a Mike Trout, uh, I believe it was his Bowman first, the Mike Trout Bowman first. It was it was one of his it was one of his first cards that was number to five. Uh, it was either his Bowman first or his Topps rookie, but in either case, it was number to five from, uh, and it just sold for eight hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> eight hundred thousand dollars. That was a card that you could have probably picked up for sub $1,000, certainly actually even less than that uh, when, uh, you know, back in 2011, 2012. Um, So, you know, it's, it's possible certainly that someone could actually get a huge return. Um, Acuna's cards are going, you know, if you have an Acuna card, that's, uh, you know, number to a hundred or less uh, rookie auto. I mean, that card's going to be in the tens of thousands for sure. So if Jason Dominguez goes along uh, that path, um, you could very well uh, make a good return on your investment. But you're, of course, also taking a, a, a quite a big risk. Yeah, because it's certainly possible there's a scenario where he just doesn't even make the majors or he's like a huge flop. Like, I, I have no idea. And again, like, you're right. Everybody's saying this guy's the next coming and he's going to be great, and he certainly may. But uh, you mentioned football and, like, basketball. It feels like those prospects are a little bit more predictable. They're also older, uh, a little bit more developed. So it feels like a little bit more risk on it. But, again, it, a card is worth somebody's worth, but somebody's willing to pay for it. I suppose, right, Jeff? That is correct. That's true. That's a hundred percent true. And uh, uh, you know, I don't profess myself to be a like super great baseball prospector, but there are some people and and some members of my membership program, I, many of them actually, who I've talked to in depth, who they are totally into it. They are looking at the minor league stats all of the time. They're tracking single A games and double A games and looking at who's emerging and then going up and buying, you know, bulks of that person's card before, <coughs> excuse me, before people have started to really chase them yet. Yeah. One last question. I hope this one doesn't catch you off guard. Now I'm just curious. You mentioned Trout in what, 2011 or so. You could have gotten like a thousand bucks or so. It sold recently for 800 K. I'm just curious, like at the level of how much the, the sports car community has grown how much did that card have gone for like four or five years ago? Any idea off the, off the top, top of your head? Well, I can tell you that um, the guy who sold that card for 800000 bought the one of one card. I think, I think that was probably about two or three years ago. He bought the one of one card for 400000 mm-hmm. This card was, was out of five and sold for 800000 That probably means that the one of one card is now worth probably at least double that, um, if not a little bit more. So, you know, the card, the one-on-one that he bought for 400000 is probably now worth $1.6 to $2 million. 
you know, maybe that would be my guess. Um, and so you could, you could tell the escalation. Now, some of that is because Mike Trout has continued to just completely kick butt and, you know, be the most sought after card in baseball. Um, but, but some of that is also due to the fact that the, just the sports card market overall has gone, gotten hotter and hotter and hotter. And people are willing to pay prices today for premium cards that they would not have been willing to pay, uh, even a few years ago. Yeah, that all checks out. That all kind of makes sense. Uh, all right, let's talk some NBA. I didn't forget about you, Josh. Didn't forget about, about you, Simon. Brennan, I know you guys are still there. Brennan, can you give us a, a synopsis? What, what did the NBA say? Well, what did they pass today? Because we're still kind of like figuring things out. And we're not, everything's not been clarified. But what is your understanding as far as what's going down as far as the season? Sure. So they're bringing back 22 of the teams for the, the home stretch here of the season. Uh, uh, there's the eight teams that were in the playoffs already in the Eastern Conference plus the Washington Wizards. And then in the Western Conference, since the bottom of that conference was so jam-packed, uh, you've got the eight that were already in the playoffs plus uh, Sacramento, Portland, New Orleans, the Spurs, and the Suns. I believe that brings us to 22 teams that are coming back. They're going to be playing an eight-game regular season. So I think they're going to have a couple of weeks of like a training camp almost. And then they're going to have an eight-game regular season in Orlando. And they're calling those seeding games. So that's not only going to impact uh, the race for the last seeds in the conferences, but also the tops and the middles of the conferences. So you could see some movement within the playoffs um, all the way up to the top seeds. And then after that, there's going to be a play-in game, uh, play-in games in each conference for that final spot between the eighth and ninth team. Now, we're not quite sure if that uh, is going to be they're just going to throw all 22 teams into to essentially one conference or if it's going to be split. I believe the NBA.com reported it's going to be a traditional two conference playoff. So that would mean, you know, Washington has a chance to get in. If not, the Eastern Conference uh, will be set the way it is. And then the Western Conference obviously has a lot to figure out at the bottom. Um, that's not confirmed yet, but um, I, I believe the reports as of now could change or that it's going to be a traditional four round seven game playoff. Uh, mm-hmm you know, by conference playoffs. Yeah. So there's not an automatic playoff game from my understanding. It says if the number nine seed is more than four games behind the number eight seed, the number eight seed will make the playoffs. But that then if it, yeah. they're, yeah, if they're four games back or fewer, there will be a playoff uh, play in tournament. Uh, in that case, the number eight seed enters a double elimination tournament and the number nine seed enters a single elimination tournament. And it will be even more mucked up potentially in the West. If there's like three or four teams that are within striking distance, uh, what what does this all mean to us, Josh? Um, so a lot of team. There's, sorry, I was reading something else. Oh, no worries. Um, <laughs> so, um, a lot of there's teams in the West. All of them could potentially uh, make make the playoffs. It's uh, even the Suns have an outside chance. And the thing that's unclear is if more than one team is within the three game window of the, the uh, plan, how is that going to play out? How many, how many more games could those three or four teams end up playing than the other teams? How does that shake out? And then how long does that take where the eight seed is just waiting to play whoever, you know, shakes out of that playing uh, tournament. So yeah, the other thing that's unclear to me is when we want to talk about Zion specifically, and New Orleans is currently with they have 28 wins. They're currently with four wins behind uh, the Memphis in the West. 
but they're only two wins behind the seven seed Brooklyn in the East and the seventh, the eighth seed Orlando in the East. Uh, you know, Brennan, what, do you think we don't know? Uh, well, I guess you, you just kind of talk, touch on this. Maybe I misheard you. Uh, are we definitely going to have eight teams in the East and definitely eight in the West and have two traditional uh, conferences or we're gonna just do like one through 16, which would be much more fun in my opinion. I agree. It would be more fun. I don't think there's been any indication they're going to do anything that creative. Um, but, you know, I'm sure the NBA is still trying to finalize the, you know, fine tune the rest of this. Um, I'm operating under the assumption it's going to be a traditional, you know, eight teams from the East, eight teams from the West. NBA.com put it in an article today about two hours ago that that's how the, it's set up right now. That being said, you know, this is unprecedented times. We certainly could see something different. Um, I think the biggest impact is, you know, one, we're going to get eight more games of all of these teams. No matter if they make the playoffs or not, we're going to see Zion for eight more games. We're going to see Damian Lillard for eight more games. We're going to see Bradley Beal for eight more games. So that's an additional eight games that their, you know, values could go up. If they hit a big shot that puts their team in the playoffs, you have to imagine that, you know, the card market will react in some way to that. Um, you know, and I also think that it gives the the top seeds a chance to tune up. Um, you know, we know the Lakers were playing really good before the season stopped. If we went directly into a playoff, that'd be really tough for them to get up and going. Um, but, you know, with them having a training camp plus eight games, I think everyone's going to be in pretty good shape uh, to, to play at their best. And not to mention the teams that have gotten healthier, Boston, Philly. Portland is getting their two big guys back in Nurkic and Collins. So I think it's going to be a really exciting playoffs. And I think there's an opportunity for some of these big players and these big cards to see some additional appreciation before we hit the off season. And then who knows, you know, what happens from there, but it's a, it's very exciting to have basketball back in, in any respect, really. The other interesting thing is that new Orleans, uh, I was looking at the strength of schedule stuff, like coming down to the wire and they had this great schedule lined up for them. And, you know, you can't play Golden State. You can't play Minnesota or Atlanta or Cleveland. And I don't know how many of those teams are on their schedule. Detroit, their season's over. Uh, and also they're playing eight games. How do you pick the eight opponents for these teams? It's, I, I mean, it's all going to be – I'm just going to say this. I don't think that the NBA is going to give Zion and New Orleans, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston. They're going to give them some of the teams in the middle. That's a sort of my guess on that. Yeah, also with the discrepancy in the number of teams from the East versus West, like are the West teams only playing eight games against West and East only eight eight games against East? It's with the odd number, uh, difference in number of teams, it's interesting how they're, how they're going to shake it out. Yeah, uh, Jeff, do you have any clarity on this? And if you don't have any clarity on this, just, uh, you know, based off what we know, Give me some players that all of a sudden become more appealing with the season coming back under this, uh, at least what we think is going to be the format. Yeah, well, I, I don't know any more about the format than what you just said, but um, from a sports card investor standpoint, I'm extremely excited <laughs> that we have a plan uh, that we're working towards to get uh, the NBA back on TV. That's going to mean great things for the NBA card prices in general. Um, of course, my first bit of advice would be, I would not bother buying up players right now who aren't going to be in the playoffs um, unless unless you start to see some dips in card prices. So, for example, the guy who I'm high on, a local guy for me here in Atlanta, Trey Young. Um, I own a lot of Trey Young cards. I like Trey Young from a long-term investment perspective. Um, he could use to learn how to play defense a little bit, uh, but he's got a, a great offensive game. Um, however, you know, obviously Trey Young is going to see no upwards price movement here because uh, the Hawks aren't going to be part of this, right? If Trey Young sees a lot of downwards price movement because everyone's money is going elsewhere, then it could be an opportunity to buy. But short of that, 
I would stay clear of the guys who aren't in the playoffs. In terms of the guys who are in the playoffs, if your strategy is that you're looking for a short-term flip, then you could look at some of the guys who are, you know, these playing games are going to matter to them and all that kind of stuff. But, but I would per personally prefer to stick a little bit more blue blood, to think about the teams that are going to be the teams that are securing the top, you know, likely the top four positions in each conference that are likely going to probably advance out of the first round of the playoffs and advance deeper into the playoffs. I would start looking towards some of their star players or their secondary players. So, you know, obviously uh, you've got, you know, the Bucks. you've got like, for example, a Giannis who is going to be a favorite for the Boxer, a LeBron, uh, you know, and an Anthony Davis who's going to be favored for the Lakers. But you could also look, so you can either look to them as what I would perceive as a very safe investment, or you can look to some of the secondary players of the team. I mean, is, is, uh, is this a postseason where Kyle Kuzma <clears throat> starts to break out a little bit and sees a, you know, a bump in his card prices? If the Lakers make it to the championship and win the championship, you will, history will tell us that it will be more than just LeBron and AD who benefit from the card, their card prices going up. There could be other key role players on that team that get a chance to shine in the finals or in the playoffs that are also going to see their card prices go up. So if you, so if you want to be creative, look towards some of those secondary players on some of the more favored teams. Simon, feel free to chime in and throw in some names. And uh, how does this affect brands like Prism, uh, Mosaic? Um, I think just having Zion back in the mix and, and knowing that we're going to be able to see him play for at least eight more games is, is big for, for cards in general. His, uh, I know his, uh, his prism cards had cooled down a little bit over the last month or so. So getting his name back into people's minds and, and being able to see him play and potentially shine in a, in a moment like this, you know, it could do some, some good stuff for his, uh, his card prices. And right now, uh, I don't know how how well people have been following uh, Mosaic uh, retail-wise, but it's it's almost impossible to get a, a box of Mosaics at the at the store. You have to get there right when the vendor's there. So, you know, basketball cards. Right? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, just just uh, just having basketball back that's going to make those cards even hotter. So I think uh, you know. I know that with Mosaic, the uh, the trending price on blaster boxes has gone. It was it's it's been hovering around uh, fifty five to sixty, maybe a little uh, lower than fifty five in recent days. But you know, I could see that potentially, you know, like increasing again if uh, when we get basketball back and we start getting some uh, uh, some hype around it again. Yeah, if I'm curious, you mentioned Trey Young, and like we all know, like uh, basketball heads, you know, and like the FS players and all that. We know that he's a terrible defensive player. Uh, do sports card collectors care about that, or they just care about what are his stats? Like, what are his offensive stats? Yeah, they don't care about defense very much at all. It's all about offense. It's all about points you're putting up. Uh, when he, you know, had his 50 point game earlier this season, his cards, you know, went up. When he had a couple of 40 point games in a row, his cards went up. People could care less. He could have had the lane open for every single person to blow by him, and he probably did, by the way. And uh, and people really could care less. They want to see the 50 points or the 40 points on the scoreboard. Um, and so, yeah, when it comes to sports cards, it's it's really the offensive statistics that make the most difference. All right, sticking with basketball, let's talk about national treasures first off the line. Who wants to open up? Who can speak to this set? Uh, Simon, Jeff, it's the floor is forever who wants it. Uh, 
Well, it started, uh, they debuted it today on Panini's website in a Dutch auction. And uh, it started off at $30,000 a box. And it's gradually decreased in price until uh, until it hit its bottom or, or sold out. And I think it actually hit its bottom of 7,500 today. I don't know if it sold out or not. It did not. But, uh, yeah. It did yeah. not sell out. Um, it, it, it hit its, it hit the bottom at 7,500. Some people had probably purchased, you know, purchased it at that point, but um, it, it did not sell through. Yeah. But you were and, explaining and, uh, before, I'm, I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off, Simon, but okay. Jeff was talking about this earlier. So as far as uh, how the price was set, basically, it was a terrible idea. It was essentially Zion or bust. If you pull a Zion, you're going to be profitable. If not, you're going to be screwed. And also just what is a Dutch auction? Tell the people that is. Well, the way Panini is doing it, I, I don't love, I don't love their Dutch auction setup. Basically what they're doing is, you know, the bidding starts at 30,000 and starts dropping uh, every 15 minutes or, or five minutes or something like that. Um, and or three minutes, I think. But anyway, you can essentially buy it at any price. You don't know what other people are paying for it. You don't know how many boxes are, are currently remaining. You have none of that information. So basically, you're just kind of forced to buy it at the price level that you think, you know, other people won't have bought it all at yet, but that you're not overpaying. So it's basically, honestly, it's a system designed to extract every single dollar for Panini but at the same time, it's a system designed to really hurt the consumer because, you know, likely in a scenario like today, there were absolutely people out there who probably paid $12,000 for the box. Mm -hmm. Maybe some paid more. I'm sure some paid $10,000. i am sure some paid $8,000. Yet it got all the way down to $7,500 and then it didn't sell out and they stopped the auction at $7,500. So it's, it's, it's not consumer friendly, especially for those people, because you're locked in at whatever price you pay, 12,000 bucks, you're locked in and you owe 12,000 bucks. And then you're pretty upset today that you paid 12 grand and the thing got all the way down to 7,500 and didn't sell out. Um, so, you know, that's, it's not the best system for sure. But, but, even, but, but even worse is the fact that they even set a minimum of 7,500 on it because doing the math, while yes, there's tons of Zion hype, and yes, um, you know, this is the National Treasures is a super anticipated release, but there was no way you could you could make a profit on these boxes at seventy five hundred bucks. Um, if you do the math on what the cards inside would be worth, you would have to pull a Zion to get your money back out. If you weren't able to pull a Zion and the, and the true Zion RPA then you're not, then you would take a, it would be, it would be a bloodbath. You know, Ja might maybe break you even anyone, anyone else other than that, you were going to get destroyed. And of course your chances of pulling a Zion, I don't know exactly what they were, but probably one out of 30 and best, maybe one out of 50. Um, and so it just, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I'm not terribly surprised it didn't sell out. Um, I wish Panini would have let it go down a little bit lower. It probably would have sold out if they let it go down to five grand. Um, but 7,500 was just a little too high. Josh or Brennan, have you guys ever partaken in a uh, Dutch auction? I have not. Uh, I've watched them, but uh, a <laughs> little too rich for my blood. Simon, anybody? Uh, I tried. Uh, I tried it on a cheaper box of cards uh, a few months ago, but uh, I did not uh, did not hit the uh, target price I was looking at. Simon, do you want to talk about the National Treasures, the regular boxes? Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to have the same types of cards that you're going to find or the same, 
um, valuable cards that you'll find in a, a first off the line box, but uh, it, the box will be selling for significantly cheaper. But even then, uh, Jeff can probably answer better to uh, this than I can, but it, even then it's probably not worth uh, buying one right off the bat. Yeah, they're going retail on a lot of online sites. They're, the normal National Treasures boxes are currently available for pre-sale at $4,500 a box. And honestly, at that price point, I think you're going to have the same problem I just described with the first off the line at $7,500 a box, where it's going to be, it's Zion or bust. It's Zion or bust. And Ja might break you even. Um, and um, I, I did buy one box at $4,200. Uh, simply for the spectacle of it, <laughs> I'm going to do, you know, I'm obviously going to do it um, as part of my membership program. I'm going to open it up and have people on a live stream and all that kind of stuff to to at least watch. I'm not I'm not sure I'm going to give away the cards like I normally do, and I do my member live streams, and I normally give away all the cards that I open. Forty two hundred dollars might be a little a little much to part with, but I wanted to. I thought the spectacle of it was going to be worth it uh, to you know to have that thrill. But from a, a financial and investment perspective, pretty bad idea in my opinion to be buying those boxes at that price point. We're recording this on a Thursday. Apparently tomorrow the uh, Court Kings hobby boxes will be coming out. A suggested retail price, $100 a box. Brennan, are you in on this or are you out? Uh, so I am in 100% on the, the Court King set itself. Um, you know, much like we've seen with Tops 2020, there is a demand out there for artistic flair in sports cards. It might not be for everybody, but I particularly like the card designs. I think they look really nice. I don't typically buy wax, so I'll probably wait for some of these to hit the market. And it's always a good idea to let there be enough supply out there before you start buying. You're going to see a lot of these cards sell um, at very high prices early on, and it's going to level out to a nice baseline value. So I'm absolutely in. I'm going to wait out the initial wave of excitement. Um, but if you're not familiar with Court Kings, I would go out to Cardboard Connection or Beckett and look at some of the preview articles they do. Um, the card designs look really slick. Uh, I believe all the autos are on card. So it's a really nice set. I'm a big fan of it. And much like Select, um, shocker here, it's got a tiered rookie system where each rookie has four different, uh, you know, four different versions in the base set with the rookie tag on it. So if that's something you like, that's there for you as well. Um, and I'm particularly excited. I was talking about it in the dis, uh, the discord the other day or, um, the, the new Aurora inserts, or they're not new, but the design this year is really slick. So I'm going to start to try to pick up that insert set. Um, the Steph Curry one specifically looks really nice. So I'm, I'm very excited here for uh, Court Kings to be out. Am I going to be able to go to my local Target or Walmart or whatever and buy this? Or is like Simon already buying them all? Is that is like the Simons <laughs> of the world? Are they, are they going to pound? So they $100 right now, I guess, retail. But on this, is there a secondary market if these guys sell it really, really fast? It's going to be more expensive? Or I guess we don't know. I believe uh, this is sold uh, directly on uh, Panini's website. I don't know if these are going to make it to uh, Target and Walmart, but I think they're, they're SRP is like a uh, hundred dollars a box. So. All right, Josh, are you going to this as far as uh, we excited about the court Kings? Yeah. Like um, Brian was saying, you know, the, the popularity of the tops um, baseball set with all the artwork, this is kind of similar to that. So initially I think they could be pretty hot. Um, it might, uh, it might taper off uh, after that. How about yourself, Jeff? What, what do you think Market Movers is going to say? Um, I think I'm in on just about anything basketball this year. Uh, maybe National Treasures aside, just because of the extreme price of that, as we just talked about. But I'm in on just about anything else basketball this year. 
Uh, now it'll be interesting to see what happens with these boxes and if, if you know, I'm sure I'm sure they'll sell out. And then what's the secondary market look like and how high did they get on the secondary market? And is there still value there at that price point on the secondary market? We'll see. And that's and that's, you know, the challenge right now with basketball is the sealed wax is so hard to get. And then you find it on the secondary market and then you have to question the value of it at that point in time. And are you are you actually able to get the value back out of it? Um, but if you can pick some up at the retail price and, uh, you know, why not? Because everything everything in basketball this year seems to be doing well. You pull a really, really good card. You want to get it graded. Simon, you just wrote an article about grades, PSA 10 versus the BGS 9.5 grading. Uh, just open up the concept and like if somebody's not aware of how grading works, uh, just give us that first. Yeah, well, uh, when you get a card, uh, you have an option to send it to a grading company to uh, va- uh, evaluate the, the condition of the card. And if you get a high score, you can improve the, uh, uh, the scarcity of your card. And obviously, the scarcity is everything in this market. So the scarcer the cards that you have, the uh, more valuable they are for, for hotter players. And one thing that I wanted to uh, look at this week, and I used uh, uh, Market Movers charts to kind of compare uh, BGS 9.5 to PSA 10s of, of the same cards. Uh, so a Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, uh, uh, Prism 2012 base rookie card, uh, for example, was selling at, let's see, half the price for a BGS 9.5 as it was for a PSA 10. And the, sc- the scoring uh, of these cards is, is different between those companies. With uh, BGS, they do uh, four subscores. Uh, corners, edges, surface, and uh, centering. And they assign uh, grades, not in whole numbers necessarily, but they also do decimals. So you can get like a 9.5 instead of a 9 on your grade on one of those elements. So I did notice when I was looking for a Zion uh, 9.5 that uh, you know, like a lot of these, these, these subgrades, you can get four 9.5s on those subgrades, and uh, it doesn't really uh, affect the value of a 9.5 uh, overall score. It can it can increase it maybe like a hundred bucks or something like that, but it doesn't bring it that much closer to a PSA uh, 10 value. So I was thinking, if you are able to find auctions where you're able to find uh, PSA uh, nine point, I mean uh, BGS nine point five cards that have four of those nine point five subscores or higher, uh, that you might be able to buy that card and then resubmit it to PSA to try to get a PSA ten score on that card and then try to try to flip it for double your money basically. But I wanted to uh, to ask Jeff uh, his his thinking on on that type of uh, type of flipping and looking at those. Uh, discrepancies in the in the market value for those different grades. Yeah, so you're absolutely right that there's potential to take a highly subgraded BGS card and you know turn it into a PSA 10, which as you just pointed out in the data, PSA 10s are getting increasingly more valuable compared to BGS 9.5. It seems to me from what I've seen in market movers that that spread is kind of widening. Um, and so you know PSA 10s are are ultimately where you would love to be. 
Now there's, you know, the crossing over from a BGS to a PSA is not, is not always easy. You know, PSA has, of course, every grading company is going to feel like they have higher standards than the other grading companies. So basically what that means is that if, if PSA gets a card that BGS has declared, you know, gem mint, PSA may be like, well, that's not our gem mint, right? And so crossing the card over can be a little bit more difficult. Now for people who do a lot of the card crossing over, what they will tell you, and this is a risk, but what they will tell you is that if you break the card out of its original BGS slab and you submit it raw, so you don't submit it in a BGS slab, you submit it raw, you will have a greater percentage chance that PSA will cross it over and actually give you a 10. Then if you submit it in the BGS slab, then P PSA tends to not be as willing to give that card a 10 grade. So, um, so just something to be aware of, but certainly there are people out there who will buy the high grade BGS, break it out of the slab, send it off to PSA, and then you're hoping for the best. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, then you can try to send it back to BGS again to get them to regrade it. Although there's no guarantee that whatever grader you get that time at BGS is going to give it the same 9.5. So, you know, you, you do take a little bit of a risk. Um, but it's certainly it can be a profitable strategy if you're if you're willing to take that risk. There's no like serial number on the card where somebody can say, well, like, you can't trace it back. It's not like a, a Carfax or whatever. Right. Like if it was once a nine five and then a nine and it's jumping around to a ten, you don't really know the history of it's just whatever case it's in at that time. Like you're talking about the idea of switching it from a BGS to a PSA. If it's a B, BGS nine point five and you're like, I want to get a ten. And, you know, you can make that 9.5 disappear is what I'm saying, Jeff. It's like, uh, that, that is correct for most cards. That is correct for most cards. Now, there are cards that are serial numbered. Uh, for example, like we were talking about National Treasures, every single card within National Treasures is serial numbered. So, okay. so theoretically, the card grading company should have a database and say, oh, we've already seen this card before and this card... Uh, got this grade before, so we're just going to go ahead and give it that grade again. Um, however, uh, it has been it, 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 up until recently; those databases did not exist, and it's been proven through some scandals in the industry where people have, um, you know, had a card graded low, made some alterations to the card, resubmitted it, and got a much higher grade. So obviously, the grading company was not aware that they had seen that card before, even though it was a serial number card. Now, I think the grading companies have started to take action in terms of that. But, but the majority of the cards you're going to submit for grading are not serial numbered. Um, your standard prism base or prism silver Zion cards, for example, not serial numbered. So you're right. You could theoretically get that same card graded 50 different times until you're, you know, happy with the grade it finally received. Have you su successfully made that work? Taking the, you know, crack the BGS case and send it to, you know, to the PSA and got an upgrade. Have you made that, made it happen or anybody else? I've only tried one time uh, submitting BSA to PGS to PSA. I sorry, only one BGS to PSA, um, and um, I uh, submitted uh, cards in their BGS holder because I was afraid to break them out of the BGS holder because they were very valuable cards, um, and uh, PSA did not cross them over. So, and what you can do, by the way, when you submit your cards, you can put on your PSA form that I only want you to remove it from the B BGS holder and grade it if you're going to give it a 10. 
So that's what so that's what I did. I put on the form that basically don't remove it from BGS unless you're going to give it a 10. And they just simply sent me all the BGS holders back and said, nope, we're not going to give it a 10. Now, they still charge you the full price. So you still pay the full grading price, even though they actually don't do anything other than look at the card and go, nah, not going to do that. Right. You got to slip them like a $200, like 200 bucks or something. And maybe all of a sudden that might uh, convince them. How much does it cost to get a grade each time? Well, so uh, PSA, at PSA, it varies based on the value of the card, which also makes it very expensive uh, it, to try this strategy out. So PSA, once the card is worth over, I think, $500, um, the price starts to go up and up and up. So if you have a card that um, is worth $10,000, it's a $500 fee to have the card graded by PSA. Jeez. Now, BGS does not do that. B BGS um, just simply charges based upon the, how long it's going to take you know, to get the card back to you. So there are some pretty significant differences in the grading fees once you get up to the higher end cards, because a card that might cost you 25 bucks to get graded by BGS might cost you $500 to get graded by PSA. Once you get to the upper end cards for your lower everyday cards, the prices are much more similar. Um, or if you're doing a bulk submission where you're submitting, you know, uh, uh, thousands of cards at once, the prices are more similar, but there's also, you can also not submit really high end cards as part of a bulk submission. Uh, Josh, Simon, Brennan, anybody uh, actually crack a BGS case? Anybody, do, anybody go through that process? I, um, I have, I have not, but I was, I've seen a couple of tutorials on YouTube because I was just curious. And uh, they say the best thing to do is to crack it where the label is and then kind of take a screwdriver and separate the case. So you wouldn't want to cut near the card because you could, you could, you know, damage the card. So if you think BGS and PSA, they both have a little space for the, the label at the top, you crack there from what I've been told. Now I, I wouldn't probably do this cause I'm, I'm pretty risk averse, but you crack at the top and then you use kind of something sharp or thin, like a, a screwdriver to kind of crack the case open. Mm -hmm. um, now the interesting impact to all of this is I don't think that PSA or BGS will know when this happens. So the population reports for some of these cards might be thrown off a little bit. Now, as we've seen, some cards have thousands of PSA graded stuff. So maybe it's not a big deal, but for a, a out of 25 card that gets resubmitted five times, you could potentially see a, a weird, you know, population count. So that's kind of funny. I don't know if it has any impact to values, but um, it would be funny to see an out of 25 card have 30 PSA uh, population. That would be a, a pretty interesting scenario. We might see if this becomes popular. Yeah, you know, it's weird. I, I, it's not obvious. I'm not uh, as savvy uh, when it comes to collecting cards in 2020 as the rest of y'all. Uh, and I was talking to Simon about this off air, and I was just surprised by the concept of because I used to collect in the 90s. I'm a, you know, way, way back in the day. And in the 90s, you could just hold the cards. You want to take the cards out of the sleeves. And I didn't understand the concept of like, well, you don't want to touch the cards. You're just never going to touch the cards. And I, I guess that's a brand new thing. And that, that's why this whole uh, concept of you know, it's just sort of locked in on the case. Like, what do you mean you can't take, can't take, it, take it out of the case? Well, it's Dean just would locked in Tom there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a whole conversation me and Simon had. Um, yeah. And if it's not confusing enough, Simon, uh, there's the PSA 10 or the PSA grading system, the BG, BGS grading system. Simon, let's, let's have a third. Why not? What's up with the SGC? What is this? Uh, SGC is, uh, is one that uh, Josh has actually uh, used recently uh you yep. got a bunch of cards back didn't you josh what, yeah what was i did your experience uh, with them great um great communication 
with their customer service and support when I had some questions. Um, one of my cards had an issue uh, with the with the case, and they I reached right out to them. They were responsive um, and offered a simple, quick solution. Um, I really like the cases. I've, I have slabs of all three, BGS, PSA, and SGC. The, the black border that's in their case, um, in their slab, just, in my opinion, makes the cards really pop. Um, some of the resale value on the cards is getting better, uh, not near PSA 10s, but um, some are, are closing the gap, which is nice. And I, I hope it uh, closes the gap even more because, you know, the SGC standards are pretty close to BGS in terms of centering, at least. PSA is more lax on centering. So you get like 60-40 centering and still get a 10, whereas BGS and SGC are 55-45 for centering. Um, and in, in, in my opinion, if I, want, if I have a 10, especially PSA, I want a centered card. Um, you can, you can find some on eBay, PSA tens, and the card is clearly off center. So, um, it'd be nice if, uh, SGC can, can close the gap even more, um, because of the tougher standards. You're, you're betting on SGC basically becoming at the same credible level of PSA and BGS eventually, but right now it's not necessarily perceived to be that. Yeah. yeah they're, they're third, um, by far. Um, but making some noise with the shutdown and BGS and PSA being a year behind and on some orders. Um, my SGC order was a 10 day and I got it back in 11. I've had PSA card cards at PSA since December and the status hasn't changed. So um, people are probably just getting tired of that and, and, and going to SGC just, um, because time, time is money as well, you know, the value of the cards. Um, but if they're stuck at a grading company for six months, eight months, you know, you they could, be, them. You they could them. be worthless by the time you get them back or they could go up at a tremendously in value, which, but I think most people are, are preferring just to, to have the cards in their possession. Jeff, your thoughts on SGC? Yeah, so we started tracking SGC values in my Market Movers data tool uh, because of, of the fact that it has grown so much in popularity using them as a grading service recently. And we've seen some great increases in the value of SGC grades compared to uh, where they used to be compared to their counterparts. So I just brought up here on the screen three Zion Williamson Prism base cards from this year. The top line, the kind of the pink purple line on the screen is PSA 10. Then that middle line, that yellow line on the screen that has kind of shot up recently, that is an SGC 10 mint. And then the bottom line on the screen, uh, the darker line is the BGS 9.5. So although there aren't many sales of SGC 10 because it's still the population of SGC cards in, in modern cards still uh, pales far, far behind PSA and BGS in terms of what's on the market. Um, there are, you can still see, although there's not a lot of sales to go off of, at least the last five sales of this particular card, the SGC price has uh, shot up above the BGS 9.5 price pretty substantially. And it's not quite at the PSA 10 price, 
but it's it it appears to be trending more towards the PSA 10 price than it is the BGS 9.5 price. So, uh, and again, this is the SGC 10 Mint uh, card that is doing this. So there's definitely um, definitely uh, you know more attention being given to SGC, um, and also um, uh, I think that because of the fact that a whole lot of people. Uh, like Josh, are submitting their cards to SGC right now and have been for the last few months because of the backups of P PSA and BGS and because of them being closed. I think you're going to see a ton more SGC cards on the market over the course of the next few months, which will probably further help the value of those cards because they're going to become a little bit more standardized and sold more often and we'll have more sales data to look at in regards to those cards on the market. So it's going to be really interesting to look at, um, but I am pretty optimistic about. Um, prices of SGC cards continuing to increase compared to BGS and PSA. And, and by the way, I should mention on my YouTube channel this Sunday on Sports Card Investor on YouTube, I'm doing an entire episode about SGC. So anyone who would like to learn more uh, can tune in and we're going to dive in for about 30 minutes in detail all about SGC. All right, we're going to wrap up here. going to give you guys an easy one before we step aside and get out of here. Of course, uh, reminding everybody that's watching, please like, please subscribe. Uh, once again, we talked about the SCI promo code. Uh, you get 20% off your first payment if you use the promo code GRINDERS to sportscardinvestor.com. Uh, let me know somebody, a card that you're looking for, a player you're looking for, a set you're looking for, and tell me where I can find you guys uh, social media-wise and any sort of, uh, you know, anything out there that you have in the, you know, on Roto Grinders or on your site as well, Jeff, that lets people know where to find you and uh, any questions they have for you. Jeff, uh, you're batting first. Yeah, so the cards that I'm really going to be concentrated on right now are going to be those uh, guys who I think could make some noise in the NBA playoffs. Uh, as I kind of mentioned earlier in the episode, I, 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 it's a safe bet, but I really look, I really like looking at guys on the favorite teams. If you, you know, and it, and although this is super safe, if you don't have, if you don't have LeBron, if you don't have Giannis, if you don't have Anthony Davis, if you don't have Kawhi Leonard, if you don't have Paul George. Um, you know, maybe Jason Tatum, depending on what you think Boston can do. Uh, you know, maybe uh, Pascal Siakam, depending if you think, you know, what Toronto is going to do. Those would be the types of players I would really think about scooping up at the moment. Um, and uh, uh, so those are guys I'm, I'm looking um, at. And then in terms of how to get in touch, sportscardinvestor.com or sportscardinvestor on YouTube. Josh? Yeah, uh, before. Before I do that, just uh, there's one of those Zion tens that Jeff oh, nice. was talking about. That was uh, one that I pulled out of a pack and uh, got back a ten, so I was happy about that. Um, guys, that I'm looking at is uh, it's actually a set and uh, hoops, the uh, NBA hoops. Uh, it's been around forever, and it's you know on the lower tier. It's a paper product versus chrome, but the set in general is becoming more and more popular. Um, so for guys like me that are trying to get in on the lower end of card collecting, guys like Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Bam, Lonzo, even Trey and Luca, they're, they're hoops cards. Luca's you can get for 25 bucks. I bought a bunch of Mitchells on eBay for like one or $2 raw. I'm going to try to grade them, but you know, one or $2 and then $10 to grade it. If it gets a 10, potentially I could flip it for 40 or 50 and add some to my collection as well. So those, those are the kind of guys I'm looking at, at for the hoop set if, if you've been priced out of Prism and Optic and Select. Priced out ROI? Oh, go ahead. 
Yep. And in terms of where you can uh, find me, it's Saki21 on Twitter. Um, I am doing Instagram now, just posting some of my cards, showcasing some stuff that I have. Uh, that's Saki Collects, all one word. And uh, just my weekly articles on RG. Um, you can read those too. Simon. Um, I'm going to be continuing to hunt for mosaic boxes at Target and Walmart. Uh, I had a little bit of luck last week. I found like six of them. I'm going to continue doing that this week. Uh, Chief talked me into buying a Cam Newton Topps refractor rookie card this week. Uh, so that's pretty much the the only card that I bought. He's a Carolina fan, isn't he? Just understand the source you're coming from. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, like, I'm kind of with him on that one. I think uh, I think uh, you know Cam can end up somewhere before the season starts and i think he's i think he's pretty interesting with uh uh you know like with the lack of buzz right now but uh this week i'm gonna try to uh look for Kawhi uh 9.5 bgs cards i'm gonna be looking for those subgrades that are all high 9.5s and 10s and uh see if i can take a crack at uh at resubmitting that for a psa score josh close us out you're batting cleanup I'm sorry, Brennan. <laughs> no worries. No worries. So I've, uh, so I've been fascinated with the 2012 select uh, product. Now we've seen the 2012 prism product, which is the first year for both sets uh, become pretty popular. And that 2012 class has a lot of guys, a couple of which Jeff talked about uh, Kawhi and AD that could be, could be, you know, big in these playoffs. And um, you know, the interesting thing about the 2012 select product is not all the players have a base, you know, a base card. So I've actually been looking at the hot rookies inserts, uh, specifically the refractors that are out of 25. So um, I think those could be pretty interesting cards to have if, if you want to go away from their 2012 Prism cards, which are also very good products. Um, but you've also got guys like Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Kemba, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, all those guys are in that 2012 set. So I've kind of been looking at that. And then just as a bonus here, I don't know that this is going to play out, but um, I noticed that scope for select, the scope parallel is, is trading at less than the silver. However, there's less scope out there than there are silver. And it's a pretty cool looking parallel. So could the scope parallel and the select product become more popular and, and potentially trade it above silver? Maybe. Maybe not, even though it's less popular. It could be that people just like the look of silver more. Um, but I've also been looking into that. So, uh, you know, stay tuned for that. In terms of uh, where you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at the DFS Advisor. And uh, you can also find me on Roto Grinders in the next, I'd say, probably week or so with the, the next market cap, uh, you know, article out. Sweet. Uh, once again, remind you guys, like, subscribe. Uh, please, the comments is your place to talk. Uh, tell us what you want to see in these shows going forward. We'd appreciate that. We're always looking for a, we're open to ideas. Happy to, to explore that. Uh, with that said, I want to thank Jeff, Brennan, Simon, Josh. Thank you for joining me. I was Dean. This was Sports Card Grinders. We're out of here. Holler. <laughs>